new, I have to tell you that we started a brand new series last week. A series that is called the formula, say formula, formula for life change. If I were to ask you individually, is there an area of your life that you would like to change? Every one of you, if you're being honest, would say yes. But very few people know how to really manufacture and have that change truly take hold long term. There is a formula. It's nothing I came up with. I ain't that smart. God came up with it. And, and Jesus modeled it. And I'm telling you, when you put these five ingredients together, there, there's no way you can't change. It's impossible not to change. So last week, if you missed it, I'll give it away. Last week, the foundational ingredient is God's word. Like, there, if, if we're not consistently feeding on the word of God, there is really no way that we're going to change long-term in a, in a spiritual, godly way. So if you missed that message or, or listening to it or being here, go back and watch it because it's foundational to the series. But this week, let me set it up this week, this way. Um, we have to admit that we're different when we're with a group of people versus when we're alone. Is that fair? Like, we are different. Don't, don't lie. You're in church, okay? You are. I'll prove it to you. Like, if you're in your car, and there's, like, people in the car, especially if you don't know them that well, and a song comes on, and it takes you back to the day, back to the good old day, you know, and you, you're like, oh. If you're with a group of people, you're like, oh, it's a good tune. You might turn it up a little bit. If you're alone, you are belting that song out like you are Katy Perry. Baby, you're a fa. I mean, you own it. And you know, is it good? No, you sound terrible, and so do I. But it, it doesn't matter because no one's there to tell you. So, because you can do whatever you want when you're alone. Amy, when we're alone in our house, we know this, that, that we act different, okay? We, you dress different. Alone in your house, clothes all of a sudden, they're optional, right? We don't care. They're, it doesn't matter. You talk differently when you're alone. Wait a minute, I don't talk when I'm alone. Yes, you do. You're too, I know you talk to yourself out loud. I know you talk to your pets. Talking to your dog, who's the big boy? You're the big boy. You, 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 the big, you want to go for a W-A-L-K? Then we get a T-R-E. I don't know why we spell that. We just do. So you're talking to your dog, and your dog needs therapy from what he's seen and heard from you when you're by yourself. Well, what about my cat? Your cat, your cat was born crazy, okay? There's nothing we can do for your cat. I'm just saying. I'm just kidding. But am I? So um, we are different when we're alone versus other people. Do you know why that is? Because when you're visible to somebody else, it makes you more accountable. I'll say it this way. Visibility drives accountability. It, it does. I'm, when the camera's on, it's different than when we're by ourselves and there's no camera. And we know this. It's part of the nature of who we are. So why is that such a big deal? Because accountability is absolutely essential in our lives if we're going to change. It's, absolute, it's, 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 what, it's what we must have. It's what few people have. And everybody needs is accountability. So to set it up, we need to know what the word even means. So I went to Webster's online dictionary, and I said, what's accountability? And the first definition said, it's the state of being accountable. And I'm like, that is no help at all. Okay, that, why would you, that's the stupidest thing. Ever. Okay, so then I had to make up my own definition, so this is what it is. Uh, looking at different websites and coming up with a little bit of my own. Accountability is the willingness to have others speak into your life and accept responsibility for your actions or inactions. It's the willingness to have people speak into your life and you accept responsibility for your actions or inactions. That's accountability. And if you want your life to change, accountability is non-negotiable. 
And, and we know how big this is because we see people, prominent people especially, whether it's in the secular world or even in the church world, they, they rise high in leadership and then they have no accountability, no authority. And, and, and a lot of times the results are disastrous because they have no one bold enough or strong enough to speak into them or they don't allow that in their circle. So David, King David, we're going to park here for a second. I'm going to preach out of 2 Samuel uh, in the Old Testament. And if you don't know where 2 Samuel is, it's, it's right after 1 Samuel, so if that helps. But it's in the Old Testament. And 2 Samuel, it is 2, yeah, it is 2 Samuel. So David is the king of Israel. Most would say he was a great king, right? But David, there was a time, I can guarantee you, he had no accountability in his life as the king. And I can tell you this because if he had accountability, when his, when his soldiers went to war, the Israelite army, when they went to war, they would have said, hey, David, you need to go because the king always is in, in the battle with his soldiers in this day. But, but when they went to war one time, David stayed back. David, no one was speaking into David. He just stayed back. He was at the palace while they're, while they're in the war. And, and it went from bad to worse. Why? Ain't no one speaking into David. I don't know if he didn't allow it or no one was bold enough. I don't know. But I'll guarantee you, for what David ended up doing, which is basically, while they're fighting, he has an affair with a married woman. She becomes pregnant. And now, here he is with no accountability and a decision to make. Do I tell her husband Uriah, who's in my army, what happened and I own it? Or B, do I kill him? Just kill Uriah, just kind of take him out of the picture, pretend nothing happened. Well, David chose B. And David has Uriah, Bathsheba is her name, and David has Uriah, her husband, go on the front lines in a fierce battle knowing he ain't going to make it. And he didn't. And he, he was killed in battle. So, so a, a lack of accountability brings us to this point in David's life. So, so God sends a guy named Nathan, say Nathan, it's a big name in this message. I would say even bigger than David in this story right now, and you'll find out why. God says, says, his pro, says to his prophet Nathan, I need you to hold him accountable. I, it's been like a year since he's done all this, and it's, just, it's gone down. It's gone long enough. You need to step in. You need to press in. And God tells Nathan, you need to go in, and you know, the king who could have you killed, Nathan, you're going to go in, and you're going to tell him what he did wrong. And, and God tells him how to do it, and tells him, hey, tell this story, set it up this way, and this is how it went down. First, or Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. So, the Lord sends Nathan the prophet to tell David a story as he sets this up. Nathan says to David, David, listen, there were two guys, two men in a certain town. One guy was rich and one guy was poor. The rich, he owned a lot of sheep and cattle. The poor owned nothing. He owned nothing but a little tiny lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb, the poor guy did, and it grew up with his kids. Like this little lamb ate from the man's own plate, drank from his cup. He cuddled the lamb in his arms like a baby daughter. Okay, I know, that's a little weird, but just go with me here. So um, one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich guy. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock, remember he had tons of it, and herd, the rich guy takes the poor guy's only lamb slaughters it, and prepares that lamb for the guest to eat. David hears this story from Nathan, and he is beside himself. He's like, I, the Bible says he was furious. And then he says, as surely as the Lord lives, any man that would do such a thing deserves to die, he says. He must repay that. He, he should pay back four lambs for the lamb that he stole, having no pity on that guy. 
what David is missing in this story is David's in the story. Like, what David's missing the whole point right now, the illustration. What David doesn't understand is, David, you're the rich guy, okay? Um, Uriah, you know, the guy that in your army that you had murdered, he's the poor guy. And the lamb, that's Bathsheba. Or should I say Bathsheba? Anyway, so it doesn't matter. So she's the lamb. You get it. So she's the lamb. David isn't catching it. So Nathan, Nathan says in verse 7, Nathan says to David, uh, King David, uh, you're the guy. You're the bad guy in the story. You're the rich guy, the guy that murdered that little, that little tiny little lamb. You're the guy. The Lord God of Israel says, I anointed you, David, as the king. And I saved you from the previous king, Saul, and his power. David, I gave you your master's house, his wives, the kingdoms, Israel, Judah, all of it. And if that had not been enough, David, listen to how much God is a giver. I would have given you so much, much more. Oh my gosh. Why then? Why have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite. You murdered him with the sword of the Ammonites. He stole his wife. From this time on, David, your family will struggle. You'll live by the sword because you've despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. The lack of accountability in David's life leads to him breaking four of the Ten Commandments in one fell swoop. He lies, he steals, he covets, and he murders. And he, it's so funny, David hears the story from Nathan, and you know what David's focus is? The, the, the poor little lamb was, was killed. Okay, David, you killed a person, okay? Like you, according to the law, David, you and Bathsheba should be stoned, okay? And not, not, not the Snoop Dogg kind, okay? The, the, the dead kind, okay? You should be stoned for what you did. I mean, can we be honest? We're in church, we can be. We, a lot of times, will magnify what other people do wrong and minimize when we do the same thing. Come on, you know, come on. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll, let's point the finger at me. It's easier, I'll be vulnerable. What is the number one thing, probably the number one thing I complain about with people? Yes, they're driving. My gosh, it is obvious, isn't it? You're driving, many of you, you know who you are. You, you, it's bad. You drive slow, and then you really go against what Jesus wants, and you drive slow in the left lane, which is a mortal sin or something, but it's bad. So, but I complain about it all the time, but yet, if I'm honest, my wife Jody would attest, and my kids would also scream loudly that, Dad, you're not the best driver. And I'm, I'm not. I don't, I don't drive slow. I'll never be accused of that. But, I mean, two weeks ago, I'll be honest, I turned a corner, hit a curb so hard, I think I knocked a filling loose. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. I'm not, a, I'm not driving slow, but I'm not a great driver. So I'll point out what you do wrong, but you don't hear a lot of stories about what I do wrong. So that's what David, I mean, this is a pivotal point. So David's been called out by, by Nathan. What will David do? He could have Nathan killed. Will he accept the accountability? Will he accept the rebuke? Or will he not? The good news is he's, he accepts it. And you see that in verse 13. Then David confesses to Nathan. He's been called out and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, yep, you're right, David. But listen to how good the Lord is. Yes, Nathan responded, you did. But the Lord has forgiven you. The Lord, quick to forgive 
And we can read this story, and I preached on this before, and it talks about how, oh, David did the right thing, and David was, he responded correctly, and he did, but I'm here, I came to tell you today, David's not the hero in the story. Not, he's not the main character in the story to me. Nathan is. Nathan is the main, main character, and I'll tell you that, because what if Nathan doesn't do it? What if Nathan was like, God, I hear what you're saying, you want me to call out the king who could have me murdered, but anyway, I'm, I'm, it's too risky. I, I, I can't do it. Like, like, God, what if I call him out and then he turns the tables and points the finger at me? Because how often does that happen? You lovingly tell somebody something and then all of a sudden, well, but you, but you. I wrote this down in, in response to that. To hold someone accountable, don't miss this. To hold someone accountable is to care about them enough to risk having them blame you pointing out their deficiencies. Wow. David should be praising God, and I think he was. I'll t- I, I, I know he was. Because, because of Nathan calling him out in love and in accountability, David still had a purpose. Because of Nathan. Be- because of Nathan holding him accountable, David was still a man anointed by God. David was still a man after God's own heart. David was still the leader of God's nation. I'm telling you, if you want to live your God-given purpose, accountability is non-negotiable. Like, you have to have it. No ifs, ands, buts. you got to. Few people do. I mean, true accountability. I mean, that kind of accountability? That could ruin a relationship if you don't respond correctly? I'm telling you. This is so big, and it leads me to the, the, what I would say is your takeaway, your, your main point. One of the biggest obstacles for you in your life, in your calling, preventing you from reaching your full potential is avoiding accountability. That is, it may be one of the biggest, or, or the biggest. So few people have it. And if you avoid accountability, you'll never reach where God wants you to reach. You'll never do it. And here's the problem for you and for me a lot of times. Our problem is we like to surround ourselves with people who like us, right? We like to surround ourselves with people who like us or are like us. People that believe what we believe. People that act how we act and think how we think and vote how we vote. But I'm telling you, there comes a point when you got to say, you know what? I'm not going to just surround myself with people who like me. I'm going to start surrounding myself with people who love me enough to speak the truth into my life. This is where it changes. And few people will do it. Meadows, church, you're not few people. You, 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 you are the few people. I said that wrong. Erase that part on the recording and we'll go back and we'll make it right. You are the few people that will do this. And if you do, you'll live your purpose. So to be transparent, I've got levels of accountability for me. I have a team of leaders that I meet with, and we hold each other accountable. They would tell you our meetings are meticulous, and at the end, we all have action items that we're held accountable to, me included, and it's huge. And in this leader team, we read books together. Two books we read that I think about offhand that were, they focus on accountability, um, not that, not that it matters, but The Four Disciplines of Execution was a big one, and The Advantage, Advantage by Patrick Lencioni was a big one. They talk a lot about accountability. And in The Advantage, the book, this is what it says. Now, understand something. This message is twofold. Number one, you need to allow accountability into your life. You have to. You have to. And number two, you need to be able to hold others accountable. 
See, it's twofold. So what the book taught us is this one thing, uh, many things, but one that stood out to me in the advantage is this. Many times we don't want to hold other people accountable because in our mind we're like, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to make them feel bad. But at the end of the day, it's not even about them. It's about you. This is what the book said. I'll quote it. Many leaders who struggle with this will try to convince themselves that their reluctance is a product of their kindness. They just don't want to make others feel bad by, again, calling them out in that way. But he said, an honest reassessment of their motivation will show that they are the ones who don't want to feel bad. And that failing to hold someone accountable is ultimately an act of selfishness. Like, like, like Nathan, you don't want to do it because you're afraid of how it's going to impact you. Oh, David's going to hate me. David's going to kill me. It's not about you, Nathan. It's about what, what I want to do through you. So I've got that team. I've got one-on-one accountability with Pastor Casey. We planted a church uh, already in our young existence in Bennington, Nebraska, Crossover Church. Should we give it up for Crossover that God is allowing us to multiply and reach people a half hour away? Pastor Casey and the team, they're incredible. Pastor Casey, and we hold each other accountable when it comes to purity. So we have filters on our phones and our devices called Covenant Eyes where we can, it it will, it will, um, track everything that we look at in fact a couple months ago Casey sends me an email he's like he forwards me an email is there something I need to know and I'm like so I I pull up the email and it'll show you like blurred images of what he's of what he's seen I'm like so I you can unblur the images and I you can kind of see in the blur images there's like somebody or people with their shirt off so I unblur the image, and it's like fighters. It's like a, you have, a fight was coming up, like a boxing master, a fight. And I, like a man, I was previewing the fight to just check it out and, you know, see who's going to. So that's what I was doing. So I thought to myself, Casey, is there something I should, yeah, Casey, is there something you should know? You're supposed to buy that fight and then invite me to it, okay? I mean, that's what you should know. Holy cow. But, it, but it's stuff like that that we hold each other accountable to. And my purpose group, those are our discipleship groups in the church. It's four people doing life together for a year. That's huge. That is huge because I'm not a pastor in that group. I'm just a person like them. And they call me out. I call them out in love. And it's, it's, it is, it's, but you know what? I thought about something this week. I thought you hear it from me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, purpose group. And, and I'm in one, I model it. But there are many of you that are in one. So to, to hear it from somebody else, I think is powerful. So would you put your hands together as Rachel comes to the stage and she shares a little bit of her story. Give it up. And she shares a little bit of her story. As they grab the chairs, I'll grab the mic. Rachel, as she comes up, um, I think Rachel's been coming to the church just over a year. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll have you go over there. Thank you. We didn't rehearse this part. So Rachel's been coming to Meadows just over a year. You're not new to the church world. Right, you've gone to churches before. You were invited to Meadows, and you've been part of small groups before. Right, you've had those in your life. But what we, you and I, talked about is purpose groups are another level. Right, you have life groups and then purpose groups. So, her and I sat down at Applebee's over lunch one day, and she was talking about the difference that her purpose group made. And she used this word twice, and that's why she's up here right now. So you'll probably never use that word again. So, uh, but she said the accountability. She, she kept saying the accountability in it. So one of the things in, our, in these purpose groups, they're another level, they have covenants that they look at, that they have to read through and really contemplate and sign if you're willing to do this. And that covenant, I don't know, one of, I guess my first question would be, is, is there something in the covenant, or how do I put it, what challenged you the most when you read the covenant or looked at the covenant? 
Yes. Is, is your mic on? It's not? I thought, wow, this is serious. <laughs> um, because it's asking you, you know, to devote, devote your time to being in the word, to meeting, um, to coming to church. So it really takes it to another level of just being a churchgoer. It, it does. It's, it is a whole nother level. Life groups, you'll have accountability in, but, but you can take it, you know, it's as accountable as you want it to be. Purpose groups is like not negotiable. You signed it, you're in it, you know, you can't get out unless, you know, we have your firstborn member, we signed right. that. So yeah. um, you know the deal. But uh, so the accountability is big. So I asked Rachel, I said, what are one or two of the things that have impacted you the most with this purpose group. We're, you were, we're 11 months in. New purpose group starts September 1st. I'd love for you to be a part if God's calling you to do that. But what are, what are one or two of the things that impacted your life the most? I was thinking more about that this week. And I think one of the big things that I didn't really realize is that I, after a period of time, was like, okay, I keep hearing about how I need to be more involved. And I ended up being involved in youth group. And the Lord was just on my heart, like, what else are you doing? You're sitting at home, you're watching TV, like, that's not building my kingdom. So I think it convicted me, being in the life group, um, knowing my counterparts were doing something in the church. Um, so that was a big one. Um, it, it changes everything. It changes the way you live your life. So... Prior to um, Meadows, you know, I had a good group of friends I worked with, and it was always like, let's do book club and have wine. Let's go out and have wine. Um, yeah, like any, any social event, it was like, yeah, let's get some wine. Um, and I think our society normalizes that to a huge extent. Um, but just being a part of a purpose group, being in the word, um, has just led me to not need that. Like, it's it's not necessary. That's so, did you catch that? When she said being in the Word, so purpose groups, you're in the Word daily, reading a chapter a day, non-negotiable. And, and you said being in the Word daily, because it was speaking into every area of your life, and consistency in that was one of the keys. It, it's huge. And then what you just said, taking you to another level, a new level of trusting God, so there was something that happened in your life this year that required you to have a new level of trust, wasn't there? You yeah. want to unpack that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So I had been at my job about a year and a half making the most money I'd ever made, um, happy with what I was doing, feeling like I was making an impact at that job, um, had uh, gotten past layoffs in January, told there were going to be no more, and then June 1st, get invited to a Zoom with HR, and they say, sorry, we're restructuring, restructuring. Um, so, yeah, that, that kind of knocks the wind out of you. But after a little bit of anxiety and, you know, going through the, the human wine. emotions, no, <laughs> going through all the human emotions because we're still human, um, I just look to God and, you know, being in the Word daily um, really set that foundation to be like, okay, God, you do have something better. And one of my purpose group ladies said, this this just means there's something better, which isn't always easy to hear in the moment, but it was truth. Um, so 
instead of doing Netflix binges, I was watching more sermons. I was being in the word. I was praying intentionally and trusting you've got this. I don't know what you're going to do, but you've got this. So the whole time, I mean, you lose your job after having a job since, what, you were 14 years old, never been out of a job, never been let go, if you will. It, it rattles you. Those of you that have been through it, you know this, but, and you're tempted in the moment to like, oh, I need to pull back. I, I need to pull back from yeah. purpose group. I need to pull back from uh, even church maybe be, or serving because I need that time to find a job. I mean, the devil will tell us crazy things oh, yeah. to pull back from God because you need that time to take care of yourself and find a job. Yeah. And you went yeah. through that. Oh, yeah. So I work part-time at the Alamo Theater. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got to open up my availability to every day. I need to pick up as many hours as I can. Um, but I had purpose group. I had youth group. So I was like, no, I can't do that. Um, maybe I should, I, I can't give to compassion. I got to stop doing that. I might have to let go of my ties for a minute. But God was like, no. I've got it. You don't have to worry about it. And I have not had to miss a bill yet. He's faithful. So you are working now. I, yeah, I just started Tuesday. You started a new job, so God yes. provided in that area. He did. You're and still that having was to trust amazing. him. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, I was looking for a full time job with benefits like I've always had, um, but he had a different plan. Um, and opened up a door to Project Harmony and doing some meaningful work to protect our children against predators. And I just knew that was his calling. When we say that as you press into the mission of your church and the word of God, and then you surrender to Christ, he will guide you to your God-given purpose. You hear where she's working now. You hear what God's doing. Was it all easy? No, it was incredibly difficult. And I remember prayer requests coming in. And I remember you reaching out to even people where you serve, Carissa, on youth, as you serve youth. And you guys are praying with each other. I mean, just crazy. Yeah. But your purpose group yeah. held, held you up when yes. you were having a hard time being held up. Yes. Yeah. So there's people here today. Some people have never been in a group at all. Some are, have t tasted a purpose group or a life group a little bit or maybe from another church. For people that are wondering, well, what, what should I do? I mean, you've been in small groups before, Bible studies. Yeah. Now you've been in very intentional, like, high bar, high accountability purpose yeah. group. I mean, what would you recommend? How, what would you say to people that are maybe contemplating? Well, if you're brand new to the church, you're probably not ready to dive into a purpose group. Um, but if you are looking for the next step, if you want to go deeper um, and really press into God's word, what he has for you, you want to feel that steady foundation and that peace only he can give, I would highly recommend a purpose group. Yeah, that's good. Life groups and purpose groups are both necessary, but both very different. And we unpack that on the website. It'll give you the differences. So Rachel's very humble and modest. What, what she didn't tell you is is specifically is through this entire journey of, of losing the job and going through all that, uh, it, it didn't turn around just like this. And, and during that, I mean, since she's come to Meadows, which is just over a year, a relatively short amount of time, the way that you, you press into a purpose group first, because they started pretty quickly afterwards, so you jump into a purpose group, and after you, you start a purpose group with high accountability, 
just check this out with her next steps. These happen organically as she seeks God in his word. You, you, you started attending faithfully. You, you attend every weekend. You started serving in the youth ministry every Wednesday. You started giving financially, right? Returning a tithe back to God. Doing all these things that can take a lot of time to do. You're doing all these things because they come up in the word of God. So, I mean, they prompt you to do those things. Um, it's just incredible. I'm so proud of you. Uh, Anything else before we close? Anything else that you want to add that maybe I didn't ask or we missed or that you want them to hear? Everything we need is in the word of God. He handles every situation, every emotion, every sadness, every joy. Like it's all there. And if you'll just open your eyes to it, it will change your life. Can you give her a round of applause? I'm so proud of you. The team will put those back for us. Thank you, Sarah, Bryce. That's Bryce, Sarah. You get them confused. So um, <laughs> he'll, I'm going to hear about that, trust me. So uh, let's close this out. I, I, I'm so proud of Rachel. I kind of put her on the spot. She didn't have a lot of time to prepare, and she's so awesome. I'm so proud of her. Those are what happened through our groups. Life groups are as important as purpose groups. They're just different. But, and you, here's what you might be thinking though right now, because I know that this is going through someone's head. I've already, got, I've already got my group. I've already got people in my life. I've already got people holding me accountable. And I would press back and say, do you really? I'm just, I'm just asking, honestly. Maybe you do, but I'm telling you, few people do. And, 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 and what I would say to that is, uh, are, you, are you praying together with the group that you have, these friends? Are you praying together regularly? Are you in the word of God on a consistent basis with that group? Are you doing that? Are you serving together, right? Serving at school, serving for veterans. Are you serving with them? Are you, are you challenging and speaking the truth into each other's lives? In other words, are you changing and growing closer to God because of the people in your life? I'm telling you, you are never more accountable than when you're in a Christ-centered group with others. Never. Can you, can you get it outside the church? You can, but I'm telling you, it, it doesn't, it's not normal. It doesn't happen organically. This does not happen organically. You have to be so intentional about accountability. You've got to seek it. You've got to want it. And I'm telling you, if David didn't have it, his story would look a lot different than it looks. It mattered to David. It mattered so much to David. He was so appreciative. Do you know what David named one of his sons? Nathan. He named another son Shamua. We think that was from a trip to SeaWorld. We're not sure where that came from. But anyway, so, but Nathan, I mean, this isn't, accountability is all through the word of God. Jesus was accountable to the Father. The 12, his life group, were accountable to Jesus. His purpose group, Peter, James, and John, were very accountable to Jesus, to another level accountable to Jesus. It's crazy. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. Listen to this. My dear brothers and sisters, James 5, 19. If someone among you wanders away from the truth, people will tell me, oh, you know, people won't wander from God. Are you kidding me? People wander from God every day. People, you can fall. You. Anyway, it says it in the word of God. If someone wanders away and is brought back, listen to that, you can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back Whoever is a Nathan, whoever, has, whoever speaks accountability into that person's life, whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. 
Do you just own that? People are, you're going to, you're going to drift from God at times in your life. You're going to slide away at times in your life. You, you, the person that leans into you and says, you, you know what? Why did you, why did you quit giving? What are you doing? Why do you jump out of your life group? You should be in your life group. When's the last time you were in the word of God? I haven't seen you at church in like three months. You know, to have that person in your life could save them from death. This is how big this is. And I would love to tell you that I'm so smart that I came up with our groups and life groups and purpose groups. I didn't. It's, it's, it's God's model. We just read the New Testament. Again, the 12, the four. It's not, that's as complicated as we want to get. I don't want to complicate it. We're, we need to have this class and that class. No, we don't. Just do what Jesus did. That's, I just want to follow the word of God. And it changes lives. People will say, Jesus is all I need. I don't need other people. I don't need a group. Make sure we get this recorded because people will take it out of context. Jesus is not all you need. I'll say it again. Jesus is not all you need. Now, if you're just talking salvation, if you're just talking being saved, he is all you need, okay? Include that too. Jesus, if you want to just get saved right now today and know that heaven is your home and have the Holy Spirit enter into you, Christ Jesus is all you need. If that's what you're talking, that's why he came. Because we are messed up. And God said they're messed up and hell is their home because they're so messed up. But I want to see him in heaven with me forever. Jesus, go. You're all they need, Jesus. And Jesus said, I am it. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. So, to, so, for, so for you to be set free from, from hell and death, Christ Jesus is all you need. You call on his name. The Bible says you believe he was dead and then alive. And you, 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 like, you, you cry out like David did, forgive me. I'm a sinner, I'm messed up. Send your Holy Spirit into me. He will save you and set you free today. You'll walk out of here saved. He's all you need for salvation. But I came to tell somebody, he is not all you need to, to reach the potential he has for you. And why I can tell you that is Jesus one time told the disciples, he said, I need to go. And they're like, don't go, Jesus. We kind of like you here. You're pretty good. Jesus is like, no, I'm not. I'm, you know, basically what he said is I ain't good enough. Because this is what he said. His word is not mine. I'm sending, some, I'm sending something better. <laughs> and Jesus, you're the son of God. Did you forget? I mean, better? And Jesus is like, yep. And Jesus went away. You know what he sent back? His Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit resides in people that call on the name of Jesus. Ask him to forgive them and set them free. Those people will speak into your life because they have Christ in them. See, Jesus alone is not all you need to reach the potential you need to reach. I'm telling you, we will all be held accountable. That's what the word of God says. Romans 14, 12. We're all gonna be held accountable. You'll give a personal account to God for what you've done, what you've said, who you've hurt, and you've said things, and you've hurt people, and so have I. And that personal account won't be good. It, it's not, we already know that. But when, but when you call on the name of Jesus, the only one who can save you and set you free, he is the only door to heaven. Repent of your sin. Ask for forgiveness. Believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And he'll save you. But once you're saved, if you want to reach that God-given purpose potential, having accountability, it's non-negotiable. I wrote it down. You, you'll need others. 
You'll need others in your life to push you and challenge you, encourage you, pray for you, and love you when it feels like nobody loves you. You've got to have it. You won't. So my purpose group, it's, I can't divulge much because these are confidential groups, but I, I guess, it, I guess it, my, I guess my part I can. I'm your pastor and I love it. Without the men in my life that I have, I don't think I'd be your pastor very long. I don't think I would. I don't think I'd make it. If I can't open up to people and get real, I don't know what I would do. I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be false. I, don't, I, don't, I can't stand it. If I, I, don't, I don't have people I can trust and love and they, they don't see me that, for that moment as a pastor, but as a human being, I'm dead. You know how many times during this last year, so embarrassing, but I, how many times I just, I sit and contemplate how, how, how not good I am. I, I need to be a better this and a better this, and I need to be a better prayer and a better lead. I, I'll beat myself up. And then depression will kick in. Yeah, I struggle with depression. And I'm just at reeling. And then Tuesday night I'll meet with the guys and we'll, we'll, they'll start to encourage me with the word of God and I'll encourage them. And it builds me up and it fills my sails. But to tell you that I'm not on my knees, I mean, I, this is embarrassing. I have been on the ground. You know how we act different when we're alone? I act different when I'm alone. I mean, I'm on the ground like crying out to God. God, I, I'm wondering if he's even there. And I'm the pastor. God, where, where are you even there? Legitly, like in the moment, dead on the, feeling dead on the inside, knowing Christ is in me, but not feeling it. God, have you been there? I've been there. I was there this year multiple times. And if I'm struggling in that way, I'm just going to venture to say, maybe you do too, and maybe different ways, but the same kind of struggle. So, this is what I want to do. In closing, I've told you how you can call on the name of Jesus and be saved and set free. I've also told you that there, there are sheets with groups on there, purpose groups, life groups. You need to pray hard. Look at the difference. Grab a pamphlet that's out there that describes. You need to seriously consider signing up. Purpose groups are, they start September 1st. Life groups are ongoing. You can get in and get out whenever. Purpose groups, there's an onboarding September 1st and offboarding August 31st of the next year. They're closed groups. Life groups are open groups. They're both valuable. One's not better than the other. They're both necessary. But for the people, back to my story, for the people who have felt like I have felt, and you've been on your knees, or you've been laying in your bed, not able to get out of your bed, so depressed, you have to pretend on the outside. You have to pretend to the other moms or the other dads or the other or the or the teachers or who the coworkers that you got it all together when, when in fact you're dead on the inside and you know it. And the depression kicks in and the anxiety kicks in. And you cry out to God like I do, and you're like, God, are you even there? This is for you. Just five verses. It'll take like 60 seconds. But every one of them is for you. And every one of these verses, they won't even, I don't even think I have them on the screen. You don't need them on the screen. You just need to hear them and receive them. These are scriptures that will feed you. You can have this all the time in groups. They'll feed you to remind you that you are not alone in your struggle. That God has not left you and he's not forsaken you. That even though that you walk away from him, he'll never walk away from you. 
and even in your depression and even your suicidal thoughts and your mess and your kids who've gone wayward, that your God is right where he's always been. The, the reason I can tell you he's, he's there is because you're here or you're watching or listening right now. There's no way that would happen if God didn't draw you in. I promise you. The Holy Spirit is that good. So, I was going to say from me to you, but this is from God to you to give you hope. Deuteron Deuteronomy 31.8. Do not be afraid or discouraged, church, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you, the word says. He will neither fail you or abandon you. Own that. 1 Samuel 12.22. The Lord will not abandon his people. Nope. Because that would dishonor his great name. For it has pleased the Lord to make you his very own people. First Chronicles 28, 20. This is David, King David. You heard about him today. Speaking. He says, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5, be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And finally, Matthew 28, 20, from the, from the word or from the mouth of Christ himself, teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I told you before, I'll tell you again. When everybody walks out, God walks in. Your God is with you. Your God is for you. And your God wants to connect you to people that will change you. Shout if you believe it. Clap if you believe it. Give him praise. He's good. Wow. That was five verses. It's all over the word of God. God chasing you. Don't let him chase too long. Let him find you today. Walking with Christ and, and having this formula for change, you'll never hear me say any of it is, is easy. That's why you need accountability. There'll be times you'll want to give up and maybe do in a moment. You need people in your life. Not just friends, not just friends, people that are like you, but people that love you. So much they'll tell you the hard things when no one else will. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, you blow us away with, with, with your word and your truth and your love. Here, here's what hit me, and it, hit, it didn't hit me. I've read the scripture numerous times this week, preparing for the people, God, bringing the word of God. And what you said to David, look at all I've given you, the kingdom, the kingship, the authority, the power, and then you said this, I would have given you so much more. I, I, God, what I want people to know right now is that you're a God of so much more. That you have so much more for them. That, that in their deficiency and in their struggle and in their mess, you have something more for them. And even those that feel like they're blessed in many ways, and many of us are that way, that you're even a God of more there. You have so much more that you want to lavish on, on us. You don't hold back because of you. The only reason you hold back is because of us. And we're not seeking. We're not asking. We're not knocking. We're not praying. We're not taking steps. 
We're not seeking you. You said you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God, help us seek you with all of our heart. Who's going to surrender their life to you today, God? Who's done running their race and living their life? They know all that, all that ends is, it just ends up in pain and hurt. And they're ready for a new change. They're ready for a new season. I pray they call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved and set free. Jesus is all we need for salvation. But we're going to need more. We, we need a lot of Jesuses around once we're saved. The Holy Spirit in people, walking with us, loving with us, encouraging us, challenging us, calling us out when no one else will. Thank you for the model you've given our church, life groups and purpose groups. It's, it's pretty simple. Jesus had 12 and then he had three. They're different and they're both necessary, God. I just pray that people will seek you in them and that they'll truly know that there are extreme benefits. Life change can happen, but it won't happen with, with missing ingredients, God. Accountability. We want that in our lives. God, help us seek it with all our heart. In Jesus' name I pray and the church says, amen. Hey, I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. But don't stop there. Like or subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single video, update, or message. And not only that, share this message with a friend or somebody that you know. So many people out there need hope and encouragement, and you have the ability to bring that to them. Finally, if you're in the Omaha area, we would love to have you join us. We would love to meet you. God bless you.